hey, um, in, I don't know, I just run out of titles. Chapel, church in the world. You know, what happens to the church when it, it finds itself in the world of the, the you know, the everyday stuff? Um, you know, the, there's, a, there's a couple of things that, that go on. Uh, and and they, they go on because almost always the church is in some kind of change or transition. And sometimes it's at a real crossroad. And that's, that's that other place where it finds itself. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of, of two metaphors that I think really fit and have fit chapel. The first that we're really acquainted with and has really occupied a lot of our mental space these last couple months with blackouts and everything is forest fire. The metaphor of forest fire in the church is that it's so destru- destructive, but it, it brings new life. Uh, foresters and people that are familiar with the area we live in say that these fires bring new life. They create in the ground and in the nature things that we kind of need. Um, this church has gone through a huge, difficult time, but it has laid a, a pathway and a foundation for things to grow and become now that wouldn't have been there without, without that. The, the other metaphor this morning is, is um, the metaphor of a rummage sale or a garage sale. Now, now, the first is forced on us. We don't look for forest fires, and hopefully we're good here. We don't set them, right? Uh, we're, we're, but, but in a rummage sale or a garage sale, the youth know all about this. You, you spend time digging down in for the things that are no longer needed. And in the midst of that search, you find a few things that are real treasures and you decide to keep them. And that's been the process we've been through that, that, that we come to. So by way of introduction this morning, two questions that we should be asking ourselves, and then I'm going to fudge with two more questions at the end, but two questions we should be asking ourselves at this crossroad, and that is, who should we be and what should we do? Uh, you know, we've got a, a little bit of a course before us, but I think there's, there's, there's great room right now to be thinking individually and corporately, who should we be and what should we do? And the passage this morning is powerful because it gives us a snapshot of how the church was then so that we can be that church and it's pretty universal, and it's pretty powerful. And the other thing about it is that it's very, very simple. There are three major areas of devotion and three major areas of goodness that we should consider as the people of God, as the chapel family. We should just be thinking about these things, praying about them. By way of devotion, as a church, we must be devoted. So let me read the, the passage, the first part of the passage to you. Because after they've said that after the first sermon, 3,000 people converted, and they went from a, a small little church of maybe 200 people 
to a church of 3,000 people overnight. That's a pretty big stretch. This is what it says about the church. Verse 42, Acts 2. They devoted themselves to one, the apostles' teaching, two, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and three, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were held together and, and held everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Three things about devotion. First and foremost, devoted in the Bible means they persisted. They stuck to it no matter what. Now sometimes in life, this is just what we need. We just have to say, uh, everything about me wants to go here, but I'm going to do what's right. And that's what this, this is an unmovable, lasting, durable faithfulness, steadfastness, permanence, solid, unfading, not shrinking faithfulness. That's what the word devoted mean. And, and, and Luke applies that word, devoted, to three areas. They were devoted to the word. Here it says the apostles' teaching. So here's how it gets from apostles' teaching to word. The apostles wrote the Bible that's on your lap or in your device. And so that's how we have the apostles' teaching today. So not only were they devoted like, hey man, our, apostles, our pastors are really great teachers or wonderful like, Christian luminaries or, or you know, they have their own talk show or whatever. Uh, they knew Jesus, you know. I mean, this is pretty good stuff. But it was about what they ultimately spoke that ended up in writing that sits in your very lap. You have access to everything that is needed from God's word to our heart. It's there, right there. You got that. As long as we don't avoid it and as long as we um, cooperate with it, it's ours. So they gave themselves to this word. In other words, I want to say they became listeners of God through the word. Maybe you, can, maybe you can get this, maybe you can't, uh, maybe we can all relate to this somehow. Sometimes we can't hear because we're too noisy thinking about ourselves, you know? We either become overly, uh, you know, self-righteous and, 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 and needy or, 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 or promotional about what we're doing. Everyone should be doing what we're and part of this devotion to something outside of themselves brings them to that place where they can hear God's word. They were also devoted to fellowship. This is a real togetherness, a compassion, a deep and rich relationship that they shared with one another. Now sadly today, the Holy Church of Jesus has attempted to refire this this kind of uh, th this kind of unity with a counterfeit of unity, which is called um, uh, uniformity. So the church has developed programs and laws and rules and and all that to keep us in line. But the early church stayed in line because they loved each other. Because they, they grew to be compassionate and caring for each other. 
They developed deep relationships. And not just with the people that they liked a lot. I mean, that's pretty easy. Sometimes you have, many of us have such good friends, it doesn't take the Holy Spirit much to keep that going. This passage is really interested in the church being interested in the more difficult people it is that, that, that we get to relate to. Not that we have, if you have to relate to it, that's conformity. That's churchianity, religiosity, whatever you want to call it. But I get to relate to the least of these, my brother. I get to relate to the, the you know, the, the, the slow learner, whatever it is that, that we perceive in our minds. This binds us in fellowship. They were also devoted to prayer. I think I said this before I left. I, I, I just did a short survey of Acts. You know, the book of Acts that we're looking at here, in every chapter, displays and manifests prayer or the actions of prayer in everything they did. That's what the early church was all about. It, they, were, they were just in that. Here's what prayer is. Prayer knows our limits and God's abundance. And we're never afraid to ask or seek. Uh, many of those words in both the Old and New Testament literally mean we are never afraid to beg God for anything that we need. I've wondered, and, and I thought about this early on in my own Christian experience, when I wasn't, I, I was kind of concerned about praying out loud. And it occurred to me that Part of that had to do with I didn't want to be, uh, I, I didn't want to be asking for things out loud. I, I didn't want to beg for things that I needed. Not that God needs us to beg. God's just, just give me a give me a green light of any kind. I want to help you. I want to be with you. And this is how the church was. The second part of the passage that I want to break down a little more is that if the church is to be devoted amongst itself, then before the world, we must be good. Our lives must be shaped with goodness. Now, every person that you know that does not go to church, okay, and they will tell you that they do not go to church, will come up with some reason or experience by which they could tell you that the, the church lacked goodness, according to them. Now, there's a couple of problems with that, uh, but it's often true that the church isn't always good, and that's why it, it needs to become goodness, needs to be part of, of, of where we're going, and that's, that's why uh, Dr. Luke is, is, is going to frame this that way here. But you see... Sometimes, in the midst of all that, we don't do that in other areas of our lives. You've probably heard me say something like this. If you, have a, if you invite a bad electrician over to your house to do some work and it doesn't turn out, you don't just say, I'm just done with electricity. <laughs> I mean, after the couple of weeks you've had, you go get a good electrician. Some people have been burnt by the church. Sometimes you've got to find a better church. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little more about that. Sometimes you've got you to make your own church better. 
And, and, and that's the focus here. Goodness in the Bible is, is not about performing better. Goodness in the Bible is always about how do people become more whole and complete. Good people aren't just performers of what the rest of us can't do. We go, oh, shucks, man, they got it and I don't have anything. It's about a completeness and a wholeness and a reality that they have that makes us say, oh, I want that. I want God to do that in me. And so the passage here outlines three areas in which Jesus Christ can empower us with goodness. And the first is good practices. Listen to this, verse 46. Every day. I love how every day. It doesn't say every Sunday. <laughs> Did you pick that up? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Hmm. Every day... Church and home became synonymous. Meals and communion became synonymous. They, they, they just, they just, they, they, their life was so filled with this, they couldn't separate it. Uh, several times uh, on, our, on our trip, we found ourselves at a, eat, eating something. I'm going to talk a lot about eating. That, that's what you do in Spain. Uh, eating something, and it was wonderful. We'd walked all day. We were tired. And whoo, the food on the plate is gone. You know. And I'm thinking, well, that wasn't synonymous to anything about breaking bread or the people of God. I was just hungry and ate it up like a hungry dog. There, there's something, there's something in this practice. I think that's why Christians uh, pray before their meals. Uh, I think there's, a, there's, there's still pieces of this that, that touch, that somehow our home reflects our, our church, our, our home building reflects our church building. Our, our, our meals reflect our meals with God. Interesting thought. Interesting concept. And every day, this was their good practice. And the second piece to this is not only good practice, but check out this on goodwill. Verse 47, and then I'm going to cheat a little bit and go back to verse 40, uh, 45. But 47 says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then listen to 45. This is part of the reason... Selling all their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. That wasn't limited to just church folk. This emerging church of, a, you know, a, a 150 to 200 roughneck people all of a sudden turning into 3,000 people was seen by the local Jerusalem area as a good thing. They enjoyed the favor. I'm thinking that the church is spending so much time loving people who don't know Jesus, there just simply isn't any room for a culture war. There's just nobody that they need to be against. Because they believe that God has it in their hands. And, and they're changing culture. They're not fighting it. I say, we, we got the good stuff. We've got it all 
right here. And, and we're willing to share that with you. Good practices, goodwill. And then the last part of 47. And the Lord, boy, circle that word, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. It becomes apparent that their devotion leads to uh, a goodness of practice, will, and outcome. God grew them. You know that verse that always gets mistranslated by Jesus, you know, on, on this rock. You know, and then we think of the popes or Peter or something. But if you just get beyond that, Jesus says something that gets forgotten all the time. Jesus says, I will build my church. Not the church growth guys, you know, at headquarters. You know, not the denomination, not the pastors. You, you, we are slowly but surely figuring out, maybe once and for all, that at chapel, it's not going to be a handful of people that are really, you know, that really have it, or the, the few leaders, or the bold Sunday school teachers, or youth outreach, or the, the, the pastor. That, it, it's not going to happen on the shoulders of, of a very few people. We're all going to put our hands into the... The, you know, let's go thing and say we're in. We're, we're in this. And if, and if we can do that, then the, the church begins to, to share in this uh, amazing thing. Because when the church is sharing and, 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 and putting the outcome upon God, then the, the what they gain, the goodness that comes to chapel is the goodness that comes to this community. The good things that happen here make us attractive. I've often asked the, the, this question of every church I've served. I've mostly come up with the positive and an alternative answer. You know, uh, would Arnold, would the community of Arnold miss this church if it wasn't here next Sunday? Of course we want to say the answer is yes, but could they miss us more is probably the question. What is it about our church that is so life-sustaining to the rest of the community that, it, it, we're, it, that, that somehow Jesus in this church is too big to fail and the community, while they don't all come here, kind of know that. And, and that's what's happening here because Christ is building something. By way of application, let me say this, our devotion and practice will lead to good news or not, depending on our devotions and practice. There's going to be news out of chapel. In fact, just to, just to lay it on a little thick this morning, my last sermon, so I, you, know, I'm, you, you can't run me out of town, I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, you know, uh, in, in the whole of all this, will your life be good news or not? Not, we can sometimes stand in the shadow of the great people that, that serve around us, but, you know, and, and remember, good is not performance. It's whole, complete people. Will the news that comes from our life be life-changing? I, I, I reread I, I re a quote a couple of weeks ago, and it's just been on my mind like crazy, and I've been trying to find a place to fit it in, so it's going to go right here. The best criticism of the bad is the practice 
of the good. Sometimes we want to infiltrate or stop bad with bad. And, and the best criticism of the bad is to do something better. In most cases, when we come up against bad, we just quit. We back off. We let the bad people take over. Christian or not. We just, you know, I'm out of there. And when we look at the early church's devotion and their willingness to be empowered by the goodness of Jesus, we see that sometimes we can play second fiddle. Or sometimes we can stay involved in something, doing things in a way that even those who are leading or whatever aren't doing them. And our way all of a sudden reflects something powerful and attractive. And I think that's what our passage is getting at. How do we continue to be attractive in a culture that is hungry and thirsty for Jesus and they don't even know it. That's, that is the gospel for us till the end of the age. There was a day when people knew their need. You know, there was a day in which Christian things were well known. And we could try to you know, get the toothpaste back in the tube and go back there. But I'm wondering if this verse has greater application for us to pick up the pieces of who we are and treat one another as Jesus treats us. And, and, and even more so, to treat the world as Jesus treated the world, knowing well that while we were still enemies, God loved us. It cannot be any less true to the non-Christian that you know out there in the world and, and you're, you're probably done with by now. Aren't we blessed that God just didn't say, I'm done with Mitchell. He's dead. You know, or whoever. Wagner. I'm done. I'm done with Lauren. Done doesn't. And there's this power. There's this power in believing that and knowing that that's true and we're done with no one until God's done with them. And two questions arise out of that for me. The first is, what's in the way of your life personally? from reflecting this kind of devotion and this kind of goodness. In other words, what's still on your bucket list of discipleship? Where's, can, you, can, you, can you identify one area of growth that you can say, boy, coming into this new season, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to get out in front of me. The second question is much harder, but you got that, right? Something. Where is God speaking to me? This is more difficult and it's going to take a little time, but, but just go with this for a minute. Are there any Christian practices in the way of you being a Christian? Now think about that for a minute. 
You know how we kind of get into a, a method of this is how, this is what we like to do. This is how we like to do it. This is us doing God's will sometimes our way. Or we've always done it this way before. Or we've never done it that way before. Where have we gotten into a place where even our, our, our most cherished Christian values could somehow be contaminated with, with just the familiarity and the ability to just kind of do that on cruise control? And we're not really moving forward. Billy Graham said this, and I think this was maybe one of the more powerful things he said before he passed away. But he said this about 10 years before he passed away. He said, the methods I use to reach people for Jesus will not work in the very near future. Remember promise keepers, the men's thing? That was the last of the great stadium movements that kind of picked up what Billy Graham did and they tried to kind of keep that going. And then it, see, we're, we're kind of lost right now into the next thing because our vision, you know, there's probably, I, almost any time I preach somewhere, someone in the crowd was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, that is in our culture. And, and, and it's, in some ways, I mean, I respect, let's bring that back. No one's listening. It's something else that God wants to birth. Are we ready? Would, would we pray about that? Would we, would we think that we're maybe everything that we're doing isn't all that in a bag of chips? Had to say that one more time. I, you know, could, could we open our hearts to what the next thing would be. It's a temptation to think that our methods and programs and all of those things. I could boil this whole sermon down to this. It's about relationships. If you look at this passage, it's about their relationship with God. It's about their relationship with each other. It's about their relationship with the neighbors they get along with. And finally, it's, it's about their relationship to their enemies. Where are we at in those areas? How do we strengthen, uh, to, to take another old evangelistic tool, a, a what would Jesus do stance in those areas? and say, God, we may not know it all. Show us what the next piece could be. I use this uh, quote uh, probably a couple of times, but it's been a while. Um, remember this about our own transformation, and I think this gives us hope. We do not think our way into a new way of living. We live our way into a new way of thinking. If God wanted us into a room to map it all out and think it and then take the step, he would have showed us that. Almost everywhere in the Bible, he says, you step. You step into the water, then it'll stop. You, uh, you know, you, you, you bless the jars, it'll turn, into, it'll turn into wine. Every step along the way, you do that. 
And, and I'm just thinking that these things that we're talking about, and I'm sure as, 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 as Pastor John just begins, his heart begins to, to swell with a concern for you and your friends and your families, you're going to hear some new things. That's different. Yeah. Maybe difference good. Maybe that's maybe that's one of those treasures. Well, well, we've never stop. How would we do that? What would that look like, Pastor? How could we get ourselves involved in that? Maybe we could do it with two or three other churches. Just break down all the, all the parochial walls of the things that, that, that happen in the modern church today. And just give God some breathing room to be big and large and, 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 and something that, that, that creates faith and hope and power. These are the things on my heart for you. These are the things uh, at, the, at the end of my time, on my heart for, for the Holy Church of Jesus, wherever it is, Spain, Chapel, Ethiopia. This is God's call to 